A week from now, from this moment, I will be in Haiti. On the first morning of our service learning trip to that country. Myself, some other members of Wellsprings, a bunch of other Unitarian Universalists in our area. Now, I have never been to Haiti before. I really don't know what to expect. Most of us on the trip have not been to Haiti before. And so we did some preparation, some reading, some learning to try and, you know, lay some groundwork for this new experience. One of the things that I've learned about Haiti, other than the unbelievable resilience of its people, given their history and their suffering, is that many people who go to Haiti wanting to help miss something. They don't really ask the question or take the time to get to know what and who they're actually working with. As an example, this. This is called a housing exposition. And these are some houses uh, built on the outskirts of Port-au-Prince, the largest city in Haiti. Now, by Haitian standards, these are actually some really good houses. As we come up upon the, I think it's the sixth anniversary of this devastating earthquake in that country, these houses were built with that intention that it would house all kinds of people who were displaced or who lost their homes. The problem is, after millions of dollars and several years later, most of these homes are not inhabited. They are dilapidated. Here's the problem. The people who built those homes, most of them from outside Haiti, never stopped and actually asked, do actual Haitians want to live there? There's a general lesson here. No matter how good, how noble our intentions may be, any intention without a simultaneous commitment to taking inventory, to knowing what's here, what we're working with right now, any intention, no matter how noble, without inventory, very often leads to wasted energy, wasted time, wasted money. Now, I refer to that as a general rule because I think it's really good to be mindful of that this time of the year, in which there's all kinds of prescriptions for what we ought to do and for how we ought to do it, and all kinds of people telling us how we ought to change, and not just telling us but trying to sell us something about particularly how we are supposed to change right now. So I always keep in mind at this time of the year, there's great words from our spiritual ancestor, Henry David Thoreau. Beware of any new venture that requires a brand new wardrobe. (laughs) I have an adult friend who is an excellent tennis player. He actually said that. He said that in like 1842 or something. It's really true now, right? I have a friend, an adult friend, who's an excellent tennis player. And around his 15th or 16th year, it's clear that he had some real skills at the game. And so his parents got him for birthday or Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever, one of those gift-giving things. Uh, I got him new sneakers, like brand new fancy sneakers. And he got out onto the court, and he was feeling really great. And there was this kind of this round-robin tournament where all these kids were playing each other for about a set or so. And if you don't know tennis terminology, a set is a unit of scoring. And this other kid who was uh, younger than him, 
and shorter than him, and actually my friend said scrawnier than him, got on the other side, and he had these really ratty old sneakers. And the kid with the ratty sneakers prepared just to wipe the floor (laughs) with my friend. Like, he didn't win a game. He's not even sure if he won a point. And my friend, who, you know, kept with the game and is a great tennis player, he was discouraged at first. But eventually what he recognized is this. Don't get too hung up on the form of things, especially when they look really good or you think they look really bad. Sometimes what sets us up for failure is the very image of success. I have nothing against new sneakers I have nothing against new yoga mats. I have nothing against new gym memberships. And I'm also really mindful that this time of the year, going to a spin class or going to the gym or going to a yoga class, once you get in the room, it can be like being inside of a Where's Waldo picture. And yet a month later, the exact same spin class, the exact same gym class, the exact same yoga class, There's so much space you could almost imagine tumbleweeds rolling through it. I have nothing against the new things that maybe give us a little extra boost to start something new. But the appearance of things, the outside, the external, I don't think is the change that most of us are really seeking. I think sometimes we get hung up on the appearance of things where we expect the appearance of things to do the work for us. Because we forget a very basic truth of what it is to be human. We are built to change. We can call this neuroplasticity, or we can call it impermanence, or we can call it growth, whatever it is. We are built to change. And one of the paradoxes, however, of embracing that possibility for change that is our lives already, I think is expressed by the very simple, almost uh, koan-like A little piece from scripture that goes, be still and know that I am God. My experience of that is that when actually I can settle myself down a little bit, that second part is true. And my experience of that know that I am God part is that the flow, the spirit, that larger life, whatever you choose to call it, is already moving. The change is already happening. I mean, I'm someone who has spent decades of my life having fled from my skins. Only to come right back around to the same skin I was trying to leave. Frustrated. Something different I'm discovering now in this last decade of my life. What it is to allow ourselves to shed a skin. That takes time. It takes time cultivating presence and connection to allow the changes that we seek to really happen. That's why this first new message of this new series of this new year, of this series that Reverend Lee and I are calling Being Here, is all about cultivating that sense of presence, being here in our lives, so that we can really connect to who we are and to what's happening. So that we can, perhaps, Maybe embrace that sustainable change, not just that superficial change, but that sustainable change that so many of us are seeking. And what I want to propose here, however, is something kind of counterintuitive. That if what you really want in this new year, or any time of the year, any time of your life, any time of our lives, if what we really want is change, 
don't focus nearly as much on where you're headed. Focus first on being exactly who you are and being how you are. As I often teach in mindfulness groups, this is describing before prescribing. There's a lot of prescriptions out there, sometimes a dizzying amount. But if we just give ourselves space to describe exactly what has happened, we may find that the here that is here is so much more dynamic and pregnant with change than we ever would have thought. And this is one of our core values here at Wellsprings that we call living with integrity. And in that core value, we talk about that if we're seeking true positive change in our lives, we encourage us to have humility and vulnerability. To be here, to be truly here, takes an awful lot of humility and vulnerability. In that place, we might, however, really go beyond just changing the scenery of our lives and wonder why the underlying stuff never seems to change. And instead, really transforming the soul of who we are. Describing before prescribing. This act of describing is really in its most simple and its most complex form about paying attention. What's happening right now? What's coming up for you? Like like right now, folks. <laughs> and then in the next moment after that, the next moment after that. That's that describing that allows us to get in touch with our lives and to be here and not to live our lives somewhere else, which is where, if many of us are honest, we live our lives imaginarily elsewhere. In places that don't exist. This capacity to pay attention to our lives, however, is not at all neutral. I think if we really describe what's going on, we really pay attention to ourselves, we will recognize that something precious has happened. This life is happening. It may be painful, it may be positive, it may be powerful, it may be all of those three things and more. Something precious is going on. This unleashes within us the potential for transformation beyond just an arbitrary date on the calendar, and that's all January 1st is. Beyond this idea that we should change because somehow we're not good enough. Maybe it even moves beyond this fear-based thought that we ought to change as a way to punish ourselves for our past mistakes. I know what it's like, by the way, to live inside of all of those thoughts. And they have never served me well. Paying attention, describing our lives, is not value neutral. It is cultivating a real, honest love for who we are right now. Not sentimental. Not idealized. If you pay enough attention, if any of us pay enough attention to our lives, I hope if we're being honest we'll know that what's going on is not ideal. I think that actually it is idealized love. It's the thing that makes us have that image of success. That actually invites us to failure. That invites life to be so difficult for us. This is actually one of the reasons that I believe the Jewish New Year has it all over this secular New Year that we just (laughs) celebrated. 
I love the Jewish New Year because it's not just one day and it's not a ball dropping. It's like two weeks of soul unearthing and preparation and digging into this stuff and inventory and amends making and forgiveness, asking and granting. And then, then after that time, being willing to start again. If you've ever really done spiritually that period, not just at the Jewish New Year time, but, you know, that, that arc of growth between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it is an invitation to fall in love with our lives again, but in a totally, totally non-idealized form, getting in touch with the real stuff in our lives. One of my favorite rituals arising uh, out of this tradition that, honestly, I was born Jewish, but I know much more about the Jewish New Year and its inner spiritual uh, kind of um, mechanism, if you will, since becoming you, you. <laughs> Might have been a rabbi if I'd known about it back then. I'm happy with the choices I made. <laughs> They just did a really bad job of explaining it to me. (laughs) One of my favorite rituals associated with that time of the year is a ritual that that ends with these words, this litany of forgiveness, amends, making inventory. It says, let us begin again forgiving ourselves in love. Let us begin again forgiving each other in love. Let us begin again forgiving this life in love. Love. This is describing before prescribing. This is the paradox of accepting before changing. That actually allows the change that so much of us are seeking, so many of us are seeking to really come about. Because here's another truth. It took me a long time to realize this one. None of us can love our future selves. They don't exist. I mean, here's also some good news here. None of us can also hate our future selves. <laughs> it actually doesn't exist. We can envision it. We can set an intention. It can be really powerful. But the best preparation, the best preparation for loving your future self is to learn to love the self that you already have right now. This can be powerful change. This I found beautifully expressed on something I never heard of before, fully articulated golden skeleton. I saw this in a Facebook meme of uh, someone I know who has an autistic child. And it reads like this. Instead of telling disabled kids, you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it, I think we should tell them the things you are capable of doing matter. See the shift there? A person can't live on an increasingly strained hope that someday they'll be good enough, especially if all you ever do is tell them who they are and what they do now is worthless. Describing before prescribing. On a different uh, part of the spectrum of human experience, there's a woman named uh, Emma Seppala who uh, in her first week at Yale University, a place I know a little bit about, uh, was told by a dean, her incoming class or her incoming college, not only are you all elite, you are the elite of the elite. And she said that that made her fully nauseous. (laughs) Makes me nauseous, actually. See, the reason I know the name Emma, uh, Emma Seppala is not because we have a degree from the same institution. It's that Emma Seppala, from that place of that nausea, became a devotee of what is known as self-compassion. Self-compassion, which is all about describing before prescribing. 
Self-compassion, which is grounded in three things. Kindness, learning to be friendly to ourselves. Mindfulness, learning to pay attention to ourselves. And recognizing the common human condition. We are all in this together. None of us is terminally unique. Here's the thing that Emma Seppola knows and writes about, and I'm still learning, although I believe it to be absolutely true, that self-compassion actually is the key to unlocking the potential for change. It makes change more likely by accepting ourselves just as we are. I mean, like, just as we are. I was uh, thinking of Emma's words recently when I saw some postings from friends of mine who do um, ministry in Palo Alto, you know, kind of that general area of the Silicon Valley. Something really terrible happened there at the end of last year. You may know there was a whole rash of teen suicides. And so the adults in that community had to start to take a look at their culture. I mean, this is a high expectation, high aspiration culture, similar in some ways to a lot of what you know, Chester County's like. And so I saw some friends really asking themselves soul-searching questions like, what would it be like if, as opposed to like an adjunct to all the things that our kids are learning and doing and preparing themselves for their amazing, wonderful futures? Because, right, they've got to have amazing, wonderful futures. Who knows? We can't love or hate our future selves. What would it be like if we taught our kids at the core that difficult feelings are part of being alive and struggles don't make you a failure? They're just natural to all of us. And come in and join the club. This is describing before prescribing as a radical compassion for teens or for any of us as a way to love the raw ingredients of our lives, not as some preparatory step for molding or shaping, as if the raw materials are not good in and of themselves, they're only good because of some utilitarian place where they take us eventually, or even worse, and this is true in our culture, of exploiting who we are for future gain. Describing before prescribing as self-compassion. Kind of like sometimes, you know, if you've been in one of my uh, mindfulness groups here, we do some basic yoga, basic yoga. And sometimes we do this, you know, we just stretch out, let the arms fly out. And we pay attention, you know, what does the air feel like on our forearms or our arms? How does gravity feel? It's kind of heavy and kind of warm right now. I could describe more, but I don't want to waste your time. And so sometimes I'll give a little guidance, like just imagine yourself, just imagine, you know, maybe what it's like when the hands reach to your back, you're giving yourself like a little pat on the back. Because the truth is, many of us, I'll say this in guiding, many of us are really, really expert at doing something else. We're really expert at kicking our own asses. Because the truth is, this is a lot easier than... And yet, so many of us are determined to do exactly (laughs) that. Describing before prescribing. As Glennon at Monastery said this past week about her 2016, I don't want a new, better life in 2016. I just want new eyes to see that my life is already staggering beautiful. 
Now, maybe your life is not staggeringly beautiful. Maybe it's staggeringly painful. Or maybe it's staggeringly, as Glenn likes to say, brutal. <laughs> brutal, brutal and beautiful simultaneously. If we have the new eyes to see, then we can start to love ourselves just as we are. Glennon's words remind me of one of my favorite teachers. I had lost these, these words in my mind for years. It was like 20 years ago now. It was when I was doing chaplaincy, 1996. I was 26 years old. NYU Medical Center. And I walked in one day to one of the patients who was in the cancer unit. This is someone who had advanced cancer. They didn't have necessarily years in front of them. They were sitting in their bed, and they were like eating pudding like hospital pudding, like, you know, and they were smiling. And I said, I asked, because it was clear something powerful was happening. How are you? And the person gave one answer. This is the time that I have. This is the time that I have. Because the truth is, he didn't have a lot of time. Imagine so many of us doing this. Millions of us, billions of us doing this. This is the time that we have. How that would transform what the Buddha called the three poisons. Our greed. Our hatred. Our ignorance. Talk about change. Truly sustainable, soul-deep change. To see ourselves in this time, holy now, holy now. In just a moment, we're going to do that song, I Can See Clearly Now. That'll be our closing song. I love it. Great song. Band's version is wonderful. I have to tell you about this song, though. It really overpromises. <laughs> I can see all obstacles in my way. All of the dark clouds that have me blind are going to be bright. Well, it is a bright, bright, sunny day. Thank you for cooperating. Um, so I think, actually, if we just shift one word, kind of flip two words, actually, in this song, we'll really get what it's talking about, or we can get what I'm talking about. Instead of saying, I can see clearly now, what if it's like I can see now, comma, clearly? Ah, now I don't want the band annoyed at me. Don't sing it my way. Just think it. Sorry. I can see now clearly. What else is required of us? Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to put that in your head. I can see now clearly. And so I'm going to ask us in our time of prayer coming up in just a few seconds to actually engage in some practice with us right now. Describing what's real for you right now. Using this form. There's a lot of us here today. That's awesome. And so I'm just going to ask you, after I say some words of introduction in this prayer, to shout out. I'm working with and fill in the blank whatever is real for you describing your life right now. I'm working with desire to love myself.
I'm working with my hunger for justice and compassion. I'm working with my out-of-control kids. I'm working with a life that is brutal. I'm working with. And fill in the blanks. In this new year, which is just an arbitrary date, but still an opportunity. May we all describe our lives as a means of love. Amen, my friends. May you live in blessing. And please pray with me. Oh, divine, limitless life. The spirit present within each and every one of us. Present within the established and present within the emergent. Present within that which we know and can count on and present within that which is only coming to be. We exist our lives, yes, truly Janus-faced, looking forward and looking back. And that the truest sight in this Janus-faced life is insight into what is right now. And so now, this moment, I am working with love for all of these people right here, right now. Love for this community. I invite you to speak aloud your heart and what you are working with. 